Thank you, Eddie. As I watched the children um, sing this morning, I'm just reminded of those profound truths that they are singing, that, oh, how he loves you and me. And that is a narrative and the story of God that all of us need to take into our lives. And then the second song that they sing, the seek first kingdom of God. I don't know how many times I've memorized that verse as a child, and yet it has anchored me all throughout my adulthood to seek first. It always realigns my priorities. So thank you to Annie and the other leaders in our children's choir for the kids who are learning how to be worshipers and learning how to speak God's truth to us. We've been in a series of taking a step forward, and Pastor Tom has been initiated that and has, over the last few weeks, has challenged us to take one step further into our Christian walk. And today we're going to be looking at devoting ourselves to prayer. And this was a foundation that the early church understood, and we're going to be looking at the book of Acts. And Acts specifically is the story of the early church, but over and over again you're going to see the story where they were firmly rooted in prayer and then they saw God's activity as a result of that. So you're actually going to need your Bibles today. There's only a couple of times that the scripture is going to be printed on the um, overhead screen and then we're going to be doing a little tour through the book of Acts pretty quickly today. So but we are going to first start with Acts 2.42. Now I understand there's a large group of young people over here that had a lock-in. Let me see your hands if you were a part of this lock-in. Alright, I'm going to be zoning in on you to see if you actually stay awake today. You think you can do it? <laughs> we're glad that you guys are here. Um, Acts 2.42. This is in reference to the early church. It says, They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to the fellowship, to the breaking of bread and prayer. Again, that's just a description of what the early church was about. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching, to the fellowship, to breaking of bread and prayer. We see here that prayer was the source of life in the early church. It was the air they breathed day in and day out. It was the driving force of everything that they did. I believe that one of the diseases of the modern church is that we have taken which was fundamental in, um, in the early church, the very basic foundation of who they were. They devoted themselves to prayer, and we've made it supplemental in our churches today to where prayer is an optional program just for a faithful few. My guess is that you all can name people right now in your head. Oh, they're, they're a prayer warrior. I'm going to go to them if I have a need for prayer. And so we've relegated in the church prayer to a faithful few as opposed to the driving force behind everything that the church does. So we're going to, like I said, we're going to dive into the book of Acts, which has more references to prayer than any book of the New Testament. And we're going to see how, prayer, how the prayer life of the church unfolded as the mission of Christ advanced. Because there are over 30 instances of prayer in the book of Acts, we don't have time to study every one of them today. And you can, say thank, you can thank me later for that. But let's just look at one uh, passage of scripture in Acts chapter 4. I would challenge you to go back and look at this entire chapter of um, Acts 4 because it's pretty phenomenal. But we're just going to pick up towards the end of this chapter in verses 23 through 31. This is context is here where the apostles have been released from prison. They have been questioned by the authorities. They have um, been speaking and teaching about Jesus. And, the, and they have healed a crippled man. In chapter 3 it talks about that. And the authorities are pretty upset about it. Yet they cannot deny that something's at work here. 
um, but they've told them basically to uh, the apostles that you are to no longer speak about, speak and teach in the name of Jesus. And so let's turn to Acts um, 4 and pick up in verse 23. So they've just been released from jail. On their release, Peter and John went back to their own people and reported all the chief priests and elders had said to them. When they heard this, what did they do? They raised their voices together in prayer to God. So this is the prayer of the persecuted church here that follows. Imagine that you are, would be attacked and persecuted. And then this is what what comes out of their mouths when they gather together to pray. They pray, Sovereign Lord, you made the heaven and the earth and the sea and everything in them. You spoke by the Holy Spirit through the mouth of your servant, our father David. Why do the nations rage and the people plot in vain? The kings of the earth take their stand and the rulers gather together against the Lord and against his anointed one. That's a quote from Psalm 2. So they're quoting God's word as they are praying. Indeed, Herod and Pontius Pilate met together with the Gentiles and the people of Israel in this city to conspire against your holy servant Jesus, whom you anointed. They did what your power and will had decided beforehand should happen. Here's their prayer. Now, Lord, consider their threats and enable your servants to speak your word with great boldness. Now, remember, they've just been reprimanded by the um, religious authorities, and they said, you are to no longer speak or teach in the name of Jesus. And what do they do? They go right here and they pray um, that you would enable your servants to speak your word with great boldness. Stretch out your hand to heal and perform miraculous signs and wonders through the name of your holy servant, Jesus. After they prayed, the place where they were meeting was shaken, and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and spoke the word of God boldly. That is an amazing example of prayer in the early church. So let's look a little bit further in the book of Acts and see what it means to be devoted to prayer. First of all, who did they pray to? Well, let me just stop here. By the way, you have an insert in your worship folder today if you want to take um, some sermon notes and follow along in the outline. And then on the reverse side of that, here's my little plug for um, small groups, sermon-based small groups. These will be the questions on the flip side that um, you'll be talking about in your small groups this this week. So it's kind of a um, two-sided insert. And those resources are also available um, online through our website when the message is posted this week. So, first of all, who did they pray to? And this is a huge question. Today, people all over the world are praying. People in our own neighborhood are praying. Hindus are praying. Buddhists are praying. Muslims are praying. Um, But who are we praying to? What sets the God in the Bible and specifically in the book of Acts apart from everything else? Let's look at uh, two characteristics. Number one, we pray to God who is sovereign over everything in the world. For God to be sovereign basically means that he is in control. He has a purpose and he will accomplish his purpose. All throughout scripture we hear about the sovereignty of God. Psalm 24, 1 says, The earth is the Lord's and everything in it. The world and all who live in it belong to God. He is sovereign. So when we come to Acts 4, 24, and the early church bows on their faces in the middle of persecution... How do they start their prayer? They don't just simply say, dear God. They say, sovereign Lord, the one who has authority over everything. 
So when we are facing persecution from all sides, when we're having threats against our families or against the church, it's good to look up and see that God is in control, that he has a purpose that's going to be accomplished through all of our difficulties. I want us to think about how that affects the way that we pray. Isn't it good to know that the God that we worship in this room is sovereign over everything in the world? When your marriage may feel like it's falling apart, when cancer is at its height, when things are confusing at the workplace or in the home or at school, and things just don't seem to make sense, isn't it good to know that God is on his throne and he is sovereign, that he has everything under his control, and there's nothing that happens to us by accident? Not only is he sovereign, but he's also the God who supplies everything we need. These two characteristics are really foundational. They are the narratives that are going to anchor us as we pray that God is sovereign and that he supplies everything we need. I want to show you a little secret that the early church knew that affected the way they prayed that we need to know. So let's turn over to Acts 17.25. This is Paul speaking in Acts 17.25 at a place called Mars Hill. Basically, he's addressing a bunch of people who were closed off to the gospel. And he says in Acts 17.25, And God is not served by human hands as if he needed anything, because he himself gives all men life and breath and everything else. God is not served by human hands as if he needed anything. So I want us to think about how that relates to prayer. Here's the key that the early church knew. The secret they knew was that the key to seeing the power of God in the church is not found in serving God, but in being, uh, but in being served by God. Do you get that? It's not, the key was not found in serving God, but being served by God. And there's a profound difference in that. The early church did not have this mentality to provide for the needs of God and do his job for him. They prayed. They were devoted to prayer because they knew that God would accomplish his job through them. And it wasn't them going out to try to do a bunch of great things for God. It was letting God work his power through them. And he would supply everything they needed. So when they gathered together in Acts 4, they said, God, we need boldness to proclaim your word. And God gives it. And because God supplies everything they need to accomplish the mission of the church. This is the great confidence we also have in prayer. He will supply. That's the key in prayer. So we are a self-sufficient people. I've said many times, by far, of any other church that I've been a part of, we are equipped and amazing people of education and experience and economy. We have wealth. And so we, that can tend to make us rather self-sufficient. And sometimes I feel that we might think that we are going to go out and do a good work for God. That's not the point. We need to fall on our faces and ask God to do his work through us. And you know the good news is that he stands ready to give. He stands ready in all of our lives to supply everything that we need. I believe that much of uh, poverty in prayer is due to the fact that we don't see him as the great grace giver that he is. God is ready to supply everything that we need. 
So he's sovereign over everything in the world, and he's ready to supply everything we need. So the second question, why did they pray? Or the question is, why should we pray? Uh, Well, number one, they were utterly dependent on God's power. Acts 4.33 says that great power was on them. Literally, it means mega power was on the church. They had mega power from God. Let's take a look at some examples, um, looking at Acts 1.14. What does it say? It says, they all joined together constantly in prayer, along with the women and Mary, the mother of Jesus, and with his brothers. So here they are in Acts 1. They're joined together constantly in prayer. What happens as a result? Flip over to Acts 2.1. The Spirit comes down in power. Peter stands up and preaches, and by Acts 2.42, you've got 3,000 plus people who have come to faith in Christ. That's worth getting together in prayer. So the nucleus was that the group of people got together and pray. Peter stands up and preaches. 3,000 people plus come to faith in Christ. Let's look at another example. Look at Acts 3.1. One day Peter and John were going to the temple at the time of what? The time of prayer. They're going up the time of prayer at 3 o'clock in the afternoon. What happens as a result of this? Well, a lame man walks for the first time in his life. Um, the passage from Acts 4 that we looked at at the beginning of this um, message, um, that's why they had gotten in trouble, that they had healed this lame man. And then when we look over at Acts 4.4, 4, it says the number of people who their faith in Christ grew to over 5,000. They get up and they go to pray. They heal a lame man. 5,000 people come to faith in Christ. Look again at Acts 6. Because of some of the conflict in the church, you've got prayer being regulated to a minor duty of apostles. And and the apostles are having, prayer was relegated to a minor duty. And the apostles are having to do other ministries and taking care of of other uh, duties. So they said, let's get some deacons. In verse 3, it says, choose seven men from among you who are known to be full of spirit, the spirit and wisdom. We will turn this responsibility over to them, and we will give our attention to prayer and the ministry of the word. So they begin to pray. And then in Acts 6, verse 7, it says, The word of God spread. The number of disciples in Jerusalem increased rapidly, and a large number of priests became obedient to the faith. Again, these are examples of the early church committed, devoted to praying. And then you see the power of God at work, and there's increase. Do we really believe at BCBC, apart from devoted prayer for the power of God, that we can do nothing? Do we believe that? We will spin our wheels in religious activity apart from prayer for the power of God, and we will get nowhere. Every major breakthrough in the book of Acts comes in response to prayer. We live in a day in a society where everything is about more work, more programs, more ideas. Come up with the best or get moved out of the way. And it creeps into the church. We've got to come up with new ideas and new programs instead of coming up with more prayer and more prayer and more prayer for the power of God. They were utterly dependent upon God's power. And secondly, they were utterly desperate for God's grace. Acts 4.33, the same verse that said they had mega power, says that they had mega grace. Much grace was upon them all. I want you to see grace and I want to see 
you to see their desperation for God's grace. So look with me in Acts 6.8. They were utterly desperate for God's grace. So this is Stephen. Acts 6.8 says, Now Stephen, a man full of God's grace and power, did great wonders and miraculous signs among the people. Stephen, full of God's grace, did great works. So God is moving through Stephen in power because of God's grace in his life. Go over to Acts 11.23. This is the church at Antioch. Listen to the church at Antioch described. When Barnabas arrived and saw the evidence of the grace of God, he was glad and encouraged them all to remain true to the Lord with all their hearts. So the church is growing. He said, this is evidence of grace right here. Look at Acts 14.3. Paul and Barnabas are going to another town. It says, so Paul and Barnabas spent considerable time there, speaking boldly for the Lord, who confirmed the message of his grace by enabling them to do miraculous signs and wonders. God's plan is grace, and all these signs and wonders are happening because of one thing and one thing only, simply by the grace of God. The whole missionary journey was described as the grace of God for the work that God had now completed. Notice that the early church did not grow because they got a nice, new, hip, young pastor. We're in the search for an English lead pastor. Um, and are we waiting for a pastor to cause growth and to cause um, God's spirit to be relevant among us? The early church didn't grow because they got a nice new young pastor or implemented a new hip worship service. They didn't grow because they came up with new plans or new methods or new programs or started new small groups. Over and over again, the Holy Spirit is intentional to show us that the church was growing for one reason and one reason only. It was the grace of God and obedience of his people to pray and to ask the Spirit of God to come and show his power through them. It was grace. And why do we see that repetition over and over again, do you think? Here's why. Because the one who gives the grace gets the glory. Because if the nice new young pastor is the reason the church is growing, then that pastor gets the glory. And if it's a new, young, vibrant hip worship service that is all that, the service gets the glory. If it's our new programs, our new ideas, a new pastor, whatever it is, if it's if we start turning to those things and name that as the reason why um, our church might be growing then those programs and ideas and methods are the ones that we begin to turn our faith and our beliefs and give attention towards. But God has designed the church so that in the end he pours out grace and he alone gets the glory. They were utterly desperate for the grace of God. Isn't that a good way to walk in church, in the church? God, show more grace. God, show your grace in our time together. God, we are scattering apart this week. Show your grace. That's prayer. That's why they prayed. They were desperate for God's grace. They were dependent on God's power, desperate for God's grace. And number three, they were utterly devoted to God's mission. All throughout the book of Acts, when we see them praying, it's intricately linked to the mission of the church. God has given us prayer because Jesus has given us a mission. The problem is, one of the questions we often ask in the church is, why should we pray? Oh, 
we don't ask it overtly, um, but we live like prayer isn't that important. So when we live like we are asking the question, why should we pray? You know why I think that's one of the most common questions we ask? Because you don't need prayer when you're watching TV. I don't need prayer when I'm mindlessly surfing the Internet. I don't need prayer when there's no risk involved in my Christian life. We don't need prayer when we are not sacrificing everything. You don't need prayer when you're going through a monotonous motion of religious activity week in and week out. We don't need prayer for that. We can do that on our own and we can live that kind of Christian life where prayer is never necessary. And it's possible to do that in our culture from the point of salvation to death, to never really need prayer. However, when you sacrifice everything to follow Christ, when he is your only hope, your only desire, when you have staked your reputation and your career on your devotion to Christ, when the longing of your heart day in and day out is to lead people to faith in Christ, when the ache in your soul is for the billion people who have never heard the name of Jesus, and you surrender to that battle to make the gospel known among those places, then you need prayer. I have a friend just this week who sent me a series of text messages. She lives in New York City. She's a friend I know from San Francisco but relocated to New York. She is a, a, a beautiful follower of Jesus Christ whom if you met her, you would say she has already committed everything she could possibly commit to following Christ. But in a series of text messages, she said um, that she was sensing God was asking her to hold nothing back. She's in a place of transition. And she's saying, Cindy, I've been praying and fasting over the last three days, and I'm sensing that God's taking me to a new place, that I'm to hold nothing back. And she said, Cindy, I want Jesus more than I want anything. That is a woman who is desperate to see Christ at work in her life. She says, I don't want to hold anything back. And I want Jesus more than I want anything. It caused me to stop and to think and, and ask myself, could I have sent that text message? Do I sincerely want Jesus more than I want anything. And she is a, a, a woman who is a beautiful example of a follower of Jesus Christ. So I want us to be able to think about this dependency in prayer and that often we are just calling upstairs for more comforts now. I find that a lot of my prayer life is just asking God to send me more comforts. Calling upstairs, God bless me, send me more comforts now. Um, But we need to be calling to God for our supply over and over and over again because our life should depend on that. Our prayerlessness may just be to the fact that we are not on a mission. And so, church, I would ask us to consider what is our mission and are we dependent upon God's supply for that. The last question I want us to think about is what did they pray for? Here's where I wanted to tie their devotion to prayer to those other three facets in the early church referenced in Acts 2.42. Again, this is a description of what the early church was about. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching, fellowship, breaking of bread, and to prayer. So how did prayer tie into undergirding all of that? First of all, they prayed for the success 
of God's word. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching, to the word and prayer. Undergirded all of that. And we see that throughout all the New Testament. In Acts 4, they asked, Lord, enable us to speak your word with great boldness. And out of that request, they quoted from the word from Psalms 2. We already looked at that in um, Acts chapter 4. And said, this is what your word says. They quote God's word and they hold it up to God and they say, God, this is what you have already promised. This is what your word says to us. Now enable us to proclaim your word with boldness. It was preaching of the word and prayer that accompanied it that that unleashed God's power. They both go together. We can't have one without the other. Second, they prayed for the needs of each other and the world. We know that this early church was in one heart and mind. They were united together in this devotion of prayer. The way they cared for each other is one that did unite them together. They cared for each other because they prayed for each other. When you pray for people, God begins to give you his heart for the people from whom you're praying. So that's one of the great joys that we... We unite together and we pray and we intercede for one another. And as I begin to pray God's best into you, I'm united together with you. And I'm striving on your behalf. I'm interceding for you. And the early church knew that they were praying for the needs of each other and for the world. Third, they prayed for the spread of God's worship. There are 36 times in the book of Acts where it talks about how the church is growing. Over half of those times it is directly attributed to prayer. The spread of God's worship. In Acts 4, when they prayed, they quote from Psalm 2.8. Ask of me, and I will make the nations as your inheritance. That's what Psalm 2.8 says. So then they pray back to God. They said, God, we know your want glory. We know you want your glory to reclaim through your Son and all the nations. We know that. So we are going to pray for that. Scripture is one of your best resources for what to be praying. Because you already know the heart of God through the Word of God. So be praying the Word of God and saying, God, you've already promised us in in your Word that you want your glory known throughout all the nations. So begin to pray that according to the Word of God. We are fools if we think we can see anything happen in our own power and in our own strength. Apart from the power of God and the Holy Spirit, we can do nothing. However, with the power of God and with the Holy Spirit, we will see his word succeed. And we will see the needs in each other's lives met and needs around the world met. And we will see the spread of God's worship. So I want us to challenge, uh, want us to be challenged to begin to pray God-sized prayers to say, God, we are desperate for your grace and we are devoted to your mission. God, show up through us. Show your person. Show your character. Show your glory. Do it through us and do it in such a way that only you can get the glory. That's how I want us to begin to pray. And God has promised to answer those kinds of prayers. So here's my challenge for us. We've been talking about taking one step forward um, and making some new commitments in our lives. And this isn't a story about the early church, that they devoted themselves to prayer, but it's a story and a message for us. We devote ourselves to prayer. So I want us to call us this week to a week of intentional prayer. And I want to give us some challenges to take steps forward in prayer. 
And I want all of us who are Christ followers to consider adopting at least one, if not all three. I think you're really up to all, um, incorporating and trying out all three of these challenges. The first challenge is this. To pray a verse of scripture each day, all day. Again, God's word being foundational to prayer. So here's what I mean by that. We've seen that God has promised to give success when we pray according to his word. So what I want you to do is, I want you to look at your life. Look at the situations you're in and I want you to find a verse of scripture that speaks to what's going on in your life. And I want you to use that verse to fuel your praying all day long. So, for example, if you're struggling with some things in your life and there's a lot of hurt right now, memorize Psalm 46.1, which says, God is our refuge and strength and ever-present help in trouble. Memorize that and pray it all day long. And here's how you could pray that. God, I trust you as my refuge. God, show yourself strong as my refuge. Give me strength today. That is a prayer that God has promised to fulfill in his word. Maybe you would um, do the, find seven different verses to pray, one each day of this week. That would be great. But maybe you just need to camp out in that one single verse. God, you are my refuge and my strength. You are praying God's word and God's truth that will anchor your life. Apart from the word of God and the power of God, we can do nothing. So if you want to see change and comfort restored to you, Pray God's word because God's word is truth. Your mind is not truth. The counsel of other people is not always truth. Your co-workers are not going to mirror truth to you all the time. But God's word will anchor you. God, you are my refuge and my strength. And be anchored in that truth. So pick a verse of scripture and pray it each day, all day. The second step is to set aside this week's structured, concentrated time each day to pray for local and global needs around you. I know some of you already do this. I've heard you talk about prayer as if it is the life that you breathe, and you are constantly interceding for others and for the nations. Um, But my guess is not all of us have found that strength, that occasionally we may adopt that um, posture. But if this is not your identity, I want you to do it for this week and start with this week. Don't think that you're going to launch out and do this four hours a day for the rest of your life. If you do, that would be awesome. If you do, come and tell me about that. But start with just this week to set aside structured, concentrated time to pray and to set up a schedule for that. I've referenced um, a website there, Operation World. I actually have this book. I didn't bring it today because it's the size of an encyclopedia. It's about this thick. And, but I have a copy of this book, and it's an amazing, it's a treasure of resources of praying for the world. Some of you have no idea where to begin to pray for the needs of the world and the globe and the nations. But Operation World has some amazing tools and it is a daily prayer guide to praying for a different nation every day and very specific requests for prayer. And so I um, give you that website for you to reference. The third step forward that I would ask you to consider is to, to participate in the prayer retreat on October 22nd. Again, this is a way that you can set aside structured, concentrated, uninterrupted time to pray. It's a time of worship, it's a time of examination, and it is a time of intercession. And it's a time that we 
to do it corporately as the body of Christ. I know that, um, you know, setting aside a Saturday morning from 10 to 2 in the afternoon may sound like a really big stretch for some of us. And like, well, what would I say to God for three hours? Um, And that seems like just a big, looming vacuum of time. Um, We actually have prayer guides and resources that help guide you through that time. And most often what I hear from people who have um, participated in this prayer event is it wasn't long enough. Or the the fellowship and the time of um, being with God was just um, sweet and it went by quickly. Inside your worship folder is an announcement about the prayer retreat on October 22nd. And at the bottom of that half sheet, it gives um, past participants um, little quotes that they had provided about how that time was really uh, meaningful to them. And so that's a way um, this month that you can be a part of praying and being still in front of God and um, hearing the invitation of Jesus say, Come to me, all who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. So it's my prayer, VCBC, that we would be a people who are devoted to prayer, that the very life that we live as the body of Christ would be dependent upon the time that we spend seeking God and his glory and his mission. Join me now as we pray.